morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 27. If you'd stand, we'll sing it together. shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord.
pray. Father, as we enter into the presence of your glory and grace, we ask that our hearts may be filled with thanksgiving, that the mouths of your people may be filled with praise. Lord, we pray this not because life is easy or praise comes easily to our lips, but rather because our eyes are clouded by the shadows of death that gather all around us. The illness and disease that remind us all too well of the frailty of our bodies, the worries and sadness that weigh on our souls, the waves of violence and war that seem intractable and unremitting, our inheritance from our first father that, that plagues our work and turns our labor into toil. In the midst of all this, Lord, we pray that here this morning with the saints everywhere that you may strengthen us with your power through your spirit, that we may know and be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children are dismissed for children's worship. You can meet Melinda up front. We will now continue our worship through a time of confession. Um, we will first do so corporately, and then do song, and then finally do a time for personal, silent personal confession. Loving Father, we confess that often 
that we often try to do things our, on our own. We are impatient. We worry about how we will be provided for and forget that you give us everything we have and make us who we are. Forgive us for thinking only of ourselves, for not trusting you to care for us. And forgive us when our plans are all working out and we forget that we need you. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. take a moment for silent personal confession. Father, we thank you that you are a God that hears us in the midst of our infliction, <clears throat> that you keep covenant with us in the midst of our unfaithfulness and wandering. Forgive us our doubts and arrogance and restore us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. 
He is, also hears their cry and saves them. <clears throat> just, have, just as we have been welcomed, let us welcome one another. Testament reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for her who, is in, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The New Testament lesson is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. 
I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, <clears throat> but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. thankful for a chance to, to worship with you this morning and look at God's word. Uh, thank you, Robin, for reading from the scriptures. Um, this season of Epiphany, we have a, doing a, a sermon series from the Gospel of, of Matthew, in particular, thinking about questions of identity, of, of seeing and knowing someone or understanding who someone is. And as part of thinking about that, I, the last couple of Sundays I shared a about um, some old Levi jeans that were found, <laughs> and also about the French baguette. And to continue uh, kind of helping us think about identity, I wanna share about high school in Massachusetts. So I saw this in the news, that they had implemented a new lighting system for their whole building. Sounds very exciting, right? But this was a big announcement that this was the newest kind of software system to control the lighting for larger buildings, all the lights would be connected to a central system, allowing for better control. And it was announced that this would lead to lower costs, less energy. But the reason that this high school was in the news was not because of less energy and lower costs. And I mentioned that's because we can you know, know a lot of things can be claimed, a lot of things can be announced. And sometimes those claims come into reality and sometimes they do not. In this particular school, the new system claimed it would simplify things and save energy, but the reason that this high school made the news, and here's the headline, is that the lights have been on at a Massachusetts high school for over a year because no one can turn them off. <laughs> for a year and a half, the school has been lit up around the clock because the district cannot turn off the roughly 7,000 lights in their building. The new software system has broken, and the superintendent says we're very much aware that this is costing taxpayers a lot of money. <laughs> the article goes on to say that teachers are complaining because they can't dim the lights to show videos in their classrooms, and that some are even having to just unscrew light bulbs themselves in their room. This new system will simplify things, <laughs> and it will save energy and save money. I share that kind of humorous story because it's a chance for us to think that a lot of things can be claimed, a lot of things can be said about something, but then we actually have to see what happens. We have to see the actions, the actual results, or see what something does. Well, during Epiphany, we have been talking about identification, of discovery, of recognizing. And what I want us, I guess, the notice out of this story is that identifying, knowing something or seeing someone is not just listening to an announcement or a title or a claim. It's also seeing what happens, seeing someone's actions. We know that what one does and what one actually puts into practice is central to knowing who he or she is. And so we can think about this story of the school or think about this aspect of identification because in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, there are all sorts of titles given to Jesus, all sorts of announcements from angels that here is the king of the Jews, here is the savior of sinners, here is the son of God. And these titles are crucial for us to see and recognize Jesus but we also want to see what he does. And our passage in Matthew 4 is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and it's a chance to see how these titles move into action, move into the character of his ministry. And so this is a chance for us to not just identify things in general, but to look and see this person, Jesus, and what he does. 
So let's look at our passage from Matthew 4. Uh, we'll look at verses 12 through 25. It's printed in your order. You can read there or, or follow along in your Bible. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Diaculus, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word that's given for our good. Well, our passage began with this news announcement that John the Baptist had been arrested. Context is that King Herod is tired of John. He's tired of the voice crying in the wilderness. He's tired of the one who's telling him to repent. And so John is picked up by the authorities. And his imprisonment foreshadows Jesus' own suffering. And it also signals the start of Jesus' public ministry. We read that now Jesus heard that John had been arrested and he withdrew from into Galilee. He moved from his hometown, Nazareth, to the lakeside village of Capernaum. And as we consider Jesus' identity through his actions and through his public ministry, I want to ask two questions as we move through our passage. The, the one question, why did Jesus move? <laughs> why did he move? And the second question is, after he moved, what did he do there? So why did he move and what did he do there? So let's start with this first one. When Jesus got word about John, he moves from his hometown to the village of Capernaum. It's at the base of Zebulun and Natali Hills. Now, we don't normally move just to move. I, I'm assuming that's the case for most of us. It takes a good amount of energy to move our things. So there's usually a reason. And so why does Jesus move? Now, it's possible that he moves for strategic purposes. Capernaum is larger than Nazareth. It's also its location on the Sea of Galilee allows for easier transportation. Like these, this could very much be part of what he was thinking. But I think it's more likely that his move is what we call could call a symbolic. And what I mean by that, I don't mean I don't mean I should say that it's kind of empty or that it's insignificant. Rather, I think his move is him continuing the theme of intentionally identifying with God's people. The theme of intentionally joining us. You see, this has been going on as we've been looking at our passages in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus was baptized by John with a baptism of repentance, not because Jesus needed to repent, but to join with a people in need of being rescued and renewed. And then he went into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested, to face the uncertainty of the wilderness. And he does, th does this to reenact Israel's story, to retell Israel facing temptation and uncertainty, but to do so in faith as God's son. 
and now he moves north, and he does so to fulfill the promise that a light would dawn on those who are sitting in the shadow of death. See, Matthew quotes from Isaiah to help us think about Jesus' move, his change of location, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, road to the sea, over the Jordan River, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are in the land in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. We can ask, why move? Jesus is intentionally connecting himself and his ministry to this promise. These lines from Isaiah are part of a larger section in which that section ends with the promise of a child who will bring forth the kingdom of God, who will bring forth an usher in a kingdom in which the tools of war will be cast aside and the rod of oppression broken forever. And as Jesus begins his public ministry, he wants us to see that he is this one. He is the light. He is the bringer of a new kingdom. You ask why move? <clears throat> it doesn't just tell us about Jesus' identity, but it also invites us, as we've said from the beginning, to think about the nature of his ministry. What, what is he actually seeking to do? Or maybe another way to say is, what, who is he seeking? And this move reminds us that the dawning light is not small. Maybe we're familiar with this image, but it's a chance to think again that this image of light coming into the dark, it's, it's not the image of a spotlight that shines in a very small spot. It doesn't just shine in Jerusalem. It doesn't just shine upon certain elite people or those who are in the inner circle. See, Jesus moved to the north was a way to remind everyone that this light was vast, cutting into the deepest of shadows. The context was that the north where Jesus moved was the forgotten region. It was looked down upon in Jesus' day, looked down upon especially those of the south, especially those who were in Jerusalem, the kind of religious and political center of the day. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northern tribes of Israel, two of the 12 that settled in the land of promise. And over time, this northern area, because it was a popular trade route, had seen many different conquerors come and go, many different people come and go. And so it was a place of many peoples from many places. And I want us to see as Jesus moved north, it wasn't just a random move. He's not just symbolically identifying himself with the light and the kingdom bringer. He's identifying himself and his ministry with those who are looked down upon. The marginalized, the forgotten, the foreigner, the other, the one that for whatever way the categories work falls a little bit outside what was desired. The light in the kingdom is not just for the Jews. The light is for all the nations. And so Jesus' move reminds us today that his light is for you and me. This is the promise. And him moving north was the promise that it was for people such as you and me, for all the nations. And it reminds us still today that the light goes forth to those that we're tempted to overlook, to forget, to judge, or dismiss. Jesus identifies with and casts light upon this lowly and overlooked and despised place. It is here that God arrives. It is here that God shows up. And so Jesus, by his moving north, by his actions, is telling the story of God and the ways of God's kingdom. So why did Jesus move? That is the first question we asked. And we see that even in his movements, he's telling us about the nature of the kingdom, who is being sought and who is invited. 
And the second question, though, is when he does move, when he arrives in this location that others would be happy to forget, what does he do? After he moves, what does he do there? And I want to remind us again of this opening part of our passage that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he moved his hometown from Nazareth to the village Capernaum. And from that time onward, we're told that Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If we go on and read our passage, we also see that he calls followers. And then throughout the region, he teaches, he proclaims, and he heals. What does Jesus do? And what I hope that we can see through these narratives is that Jesus loves. Jesus loves by calling others to follow. Jesus loves by teaching and proclaiming a good and true word. He loves by healing those with diseases and afflictions. He loves and his love leads to individuals in a community gathering around him. There's lots we could say about this love that's put forth into action in his ministry, but there's two things I want to highlight. When we say, what does Jesus do? The, the first thing we can see is that he loves by calling others to follow him. Or maybe we can put it this way. Jesus loves us by interrupting our lives, by interrupting our plans. Matthew tells us that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, the area that he had just moved to, and he sees two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, casting a net into the sea. And Jesus calls them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they leave their net and they follow him. And going on again, Jesus sees two other brothers, James and John, and he calls to them. They too were fishermen. They were in the boat with their father. Immediately they leave the boat and their father to follow Jesus. Way back in 1986, <laughs> remember back then at all, an ancient fishing boat was pulled out of the mud along the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, right where Jesus walked. The sea level had dropped, and this boat was discovered. It was kind of buried in the mud, and so they carefully removed it and cleaned it, and scientists have, scholars have dated it to the first century A.D. It's a typical boat used by, for fishing and transportation on the Sea of Galilee. You can see it. It's now in a place called the Jesus Boat Museum. It's a great title. You know, good marketing. <laughs> the Jesus Boat Museum. You can see the boat, a boat that Jesus' first followers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, would have used for their work. I mention this one because it's a fascinating story, right, this discovery, but it's also a chance to think about how this boat is a window into another time. And it's a reminder to, to you and to me that these men in our passage were real people, were real people. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can think to myself, or I can forget that, forget that Peter and, son, and Andrew or James and John had work. They, in the language of our day, they'd be small business owners. They had responsibilities. They had family. They had things that they had to pay for and take care of. And it's in the midst of that, that very real situation, that real life, that Jesus calls to them. And his call is to invite them to reorder all of those things, their work, their relationships, their responsibilities, their plans, in light of him. This is what Jesus means when he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Repent is kind of one of those religious words that can kind of sometimes be confusing. What, what are we talking about in it? It doesn't mean a word that tells us to feel bad about ourselves or if we kind of beat ourselves up enough that God might pay attention. That's, that's not what repentance means. It, it means to turn, to change or reorder your life, to walk in a new and different way. 
And what Jesus is saying when he says repent, it's similar to what he's saying when he says follow me. To evaluate and to reorder your life in light of the kingdom of God that Jesus has brought forth. It's a call for us to say, let us not order our life around the kingdom of this world. Let us, let us reevaluate. Let us stop ordering our life around our reputation or around money or the type of house that we have or certain education that we have. To stop ordering our life around maybe the, the plans that we have for our children. To reevaluate all those things and to ask what it means to follow Jesus and let him be the start of who we are. One author thinking about this call to follow and repent says that it could be the call to evaluate and maybe even leave the familiar or the assumed or the expected to live in a new way in response to Jesus. And whenever we hear of Simon and Andrew and James and John being called, it's worth us stopping and even asking ourselves, have we ourselves heard this call? And have we responded? Or maybe to ask, how is it shaping or, or maybe not shaping our lives right now? We think about our money and our resources, our plans, our hopes. See, Jesus, one of the ways he loves us is to interrupt our lives and interrupt our plans and to invite us into an ongoing relationship with him. To follow me is not just to, to do something, but it's to walk with Jesus. He tells them that they'll be fishers of men, which is a reminder to us that when we do this, when we experience Jesus' call, it always has an impact on how we relate to others. Fishers of men is kind of a cryptic saying, but I, I think it ultimately points to the role of, of a helper, one who doesn't just receive Jesus' care or message or love, but one who then also shares it outward with others, one who puts this out into the world as well. And so we can ask, what does Jesus do? He, he loves, he loves by calling us, by interrupting our lives, but he also loves by receiving us, by welcoming us however and wherever he finds us. In our passage, we see a community form around Jesus Men and women and children gather together around Jesus as the fruit of his speaking and of his ministry. And as part of this, we can see in our passage that he offers a profound welcome, especially to the sick and to the suffering. People brought him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, whether mental, emotional, physical, and Jesus heals them. And it tells us that Jesus is the true word who calls. He's the light of the nations who shines into the darkness. But he's also a personal welcomer and healer of those suffering affliction, of suffering pain, and those in need of help. And the response is that many people do follow him. So what does Jesus do? He not only interrupts our lives, but he receives us. And I think the way that we should read this is what we see happening in his ministry is a new community is forming. And it's made up of the little ones, made up of those who know hurt, those who are familiar with pain, those who know suffering, those who need help. Here is a picture of the kingdom of heaven breaking in on earth. Here is the earliest pictures or the earliest forms of the church gathering. A people, a community made up of those who hear Jesus call, made up of those who bring their deepest needs and pains to him. Jesus is the one who interrupts our lives. And he is the one who's delighted to welcome and to receive us. To meet us wherever we are and whatever needs we bring. These actions tell us again about who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, the light of the world. 
but let us also see what it's like when he forms a people and when he ministers to them with his words and actions. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you're a God that is good, who seeks out the places of shadow, who seeks out the people who are forgotten, who delights in welcoming and forming a community of those who know their needs, who need their lives reordered. Thank you for your grace that is always greater than our sin, your grace that always meets us along the calls of repentance. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand, we'll join in singing.
Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you proclaim good news to those near and far. In faithfulness and by your love, you proclaim that all sinners who repent and believe in Jesus live anew as members of your family and as first fruits of a new creation. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And whenever we gather around this gift that God gives us, uh, we remind ourselves of, of what, it is, what it means, what it's been given to us. And we see here at this table kind of what we saw in that kind of new community that was forming in our passage. It's a community, it's a table, not of those who are strong or can kind of bring their own meal along or those who come filled up and have everything they need. This is a table that is set for sinners who know what it is to be hungry and empty, who come with empty hands. For our place at the table is because Christ's body has been broken and his blood shed, and through his work on our behalf that we are received as a son and daughter forever in God. Our place at the table now in each day is because of God's work for us in Christ, his work to fill us, to feed us, we remind ourselves of this so that we can come honestly to confess our sins, to ask for help, to think about what it looks like to respond to the call of Christ into the kingdom. This is an invitation for us to come to be nourished and cared for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this table, and we thank you for the wonder that this table is one of grace, that we participate in not because we have the right resume or the right things accomplished or we've made promises about tomorrow or the weeks ahead we come resting in christ and christ's work for us and so we give you thanks you are our creator and our redeemer and we pray that we would walk each day in this good news spirit please meet us and nourish us lift our heads out of shame to walk in newness of life strengthen us to love you and to love our neighbors in a new way we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This table is an invitation for us to come in faith, to come and respond to the good works and the good news of Christ. So I invite you to come forward and receive this. If you're not ready to participate in communion today, I still invite you to come forward. We're glad that you're here. And you can just put your arm across your chest and we can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Let us come forward now and receive the gifts that God's given to us. I invite you to come down to center aisle and you can go back on the sides. And if you're able to hold all the elements, hold them till everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. Those who are serving can come forward at this time.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand in response to this table that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our true rest and shelter. By your spirit, help us to be imitators of God walking in love and obedience to you. Let us rest in your grace and promise of life as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will join together in the Apostles' Creed to confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our uh, worship through a, a time of giving our gifts to God and the work of the church. It's a chance for us to respond to God's generosity. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the greeters to come forward with the offering. There's a, a gray basket that you can put your, off, uh, your, your communion cup in, and there's a, a plate that you can have for your offering. If you'd like to give to the work of church, you can also do it through the, the church's website. You'll see a note in your order that tells you more about that. I uh, just want to take a moment to say again, welcome, especially if you are visiting with us or just started coming recently. We're, we're really glad that you're here and joined us for worship. Uh, a couple notes. If you'd like to share your information with uh, the church, uh, receive the, the weekly email and learn more about the church, you, there's a QR code at the back of this. You can fill out a, a Connect card online, uh, or there's also uh, physical cards in the back that you can fill out and just drop in the bucket back there, um, and I'll follow up with you. Also, uh, there's a time of coffee and bagels after the service, a chance for of hospitality to get to know each other better and spend time together. It's uh, in the Waters Gym over here to, to my left. If you go out the back doors, turn left, you'll see kind of a bunch of windows and it's right inside there. So hopefully you can stay after and have a chance to get to know uh, each other better. And just the last thing to mention again, to take the order with you and have a chance to see some different things coming up over the next few weeks, a chance for us to read scripture together and discuss our uh, faith and to pray together. Uh, if you have questions, please uh, let me know. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, to the work of the church. for the singing of our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him 
receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. May go in peace.